Amen. Well, if you could please turn with me in your Bible to Philippians chapter 2, please. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 2. We're going to be looking a little bit later in the chapter here. It's thrilling to hear all that God's doing, and uh, I have to say it's a humbling thing uh, to see efforts. I think we all recognize a little bit of effort went into last week. And by the way, I do want to take a moment just to thank everybody who worked very hard. Um, I think of the cleaning crew guys, uh, facilities crew rather, uh, they put in a lot of hard work and I just want uh, all who were involved in that just to know how much I really do appreciate your sacrifice. Of course, there were the ladies in the kitchen, there were so many different people who worked hard to make last week work and uh, it's a privilege to be able to be a part of a team that's all after the same goal. It's a little bit of what I want to be talking about here here this morning, um, but it is a thrill, and uh, just based on what I'm hearing from the testimonies and the looks on some of your faces when certain testimonies are happening, I know God's not done yet. Uh, when Abigail mentioned the iTunes things, I think we could have an altar call right after that, and I think a few people would be forward to uh, come forward to get that right, um, even as Will was sharing his testimony. I can tell um, God is still moving in hearts. And uh, aren't you glad that God isn't confined to working during a special emphasis or special meeting? Aren't you glad that God's mercy is not just extended during those times, um, but God wants to, uh, to continue to work? In fact, I think God wants to work the rest of your life <clears throat> in you and through you. Um, I want to take a look at a passage of scripture here. Uh, the book of Philippians is a, a book that's really been fascinating to me here this year. About partway through the summer, I began to take my team through the book. Uh, Tristan, Hannah, Emma were all with me on this journey. Garrett was as well, but he's not with us here. Um, and um, it, it's been a fascinating book. I've always thought the book of Philippians uh, was all about joy. Uh, and I think a lot of us have probably heard that, um, and that's probably what all of your New Testament introductory books say. That's probably what your little verses sheets and maybe your little Bible notes things say. But you know, uh, I don't know, it's just kind of a little lesson to me. Um, it'd be really good for me to like study the book itself and let the book itself speak for what the theme of the book itself is. One of the things I began to notice uh, as we were studying through Philippians is really Philippians is a book that's all about the cause uh, Philippians is a book that's all about having a common mind together for the cause itself. The common mind ought to lead us to self-sacrifice. It ought to lead us to be united in our mindset and in our efforts. It ought to lead us to be united in not living for self, but living for a cause that's so much bigger than us. In fact, in the book, Paul's in a jail. He's in a jail because he wasn't living his life for himself, because he was living his life for the mission that God had given to him. And his challenge to this group of people that he had led to Christ in the city of Philippi was that they as well would let their conversation be as becometh the gospel, so that whether he got out of there or not, he could hear that they were living, united, striving together 
for the faith of the gospel. As you get into chapter 2, we see that his burden for the Philippians was that they wouldn't live their lives for themselves. They wouldn't be all about themselves, but rather they would share the mindset that Jesus himself had when he came down from heaven and did not use his very deity to his own advantage, but rather gave himself in obedience and humility to provide salvation for every man. Uh, we find that as you continue through chapter 2, his challenge is, listen, don't be fighting for your own things. Do all things without murmurings and disputings because that's actually going to hurt uh, your effectiveness at reaching people with the gospel as you hold forth the word of life. But when we get down to verse 19, we find that Paul uh, is given some details. He's given logistics. Uh, about some things, but even embedded in his logistics of some of the things that are going to be happening coming up in the, the coming weeks, months, and years, there, are, there is a truth in here that I want all of us to see. In fact, let's look at verse 19 here. He says, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. Paul's saying here, hey, listen, I want to give you a little bit of a preview of some of my plans that are coming up. I'm here in jail in Rome because I've been preaching the gospel, and I know there's some issues there in your church. I'll talk about them in the next a couple chapters here. But he says, I'm going to send Timothy in a little while to come so that he can share the news of how you and your situation are going. In the next verse, he gives a little bit of the reason why Timothy is the man that he's going to be sending. Verse 20, he says, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all, all of those who are at my disposal is what he's talking about here. Seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But ye, you Philippians, you know the proof you know the proof, the evidence of him that as a son with the Father, he, Timothy, hath served with me in the gospel. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. Here, Paul's basically saying, hey, in a bit, I'm going to be sending Timothy just to kind of see how things are going there, see how your progress is being made and the various things I've been challenging you um, about in this letter. <clears throat> and I want, to know, want you to know why I'm sending Timothy. Timothy's the only guy that I've got here that's all in. You know, when I ran across these verses when I was studying these here uh, later on in the summer, I know uh, one of the things that I try to do when I'm studying, I try to put it in my own words, I try to make some application statements, uh, just kind of some short, succinct statements on what this means to me whether command or observation. And I know the, the statement that the Lord brought to my heart as I was looking at these verses was more in, in the form of a question. Had I been one of Paul's attendants, had I been there ministering to Paul there in that jail send, uh, setting, had I been one of his errand boys going throughout the city to send messages and keep the work of God moving forward, had I been at Paul's disposal would he have said, I have no man like-minded other than Timothy? 
Would Paul have felt comfortable sending me? You see, Paul's desire here, though he's saying a little bit in a kind of a roundabout way, his desire is that the example of Timothy, really what he's been after all the way up until this point in the letter, is that the Philippians would be all in. That the Philippians themselves would not live their lives for themselves, for their own things, but rather that they would unreservedly fling themselves into the work of God. Timothy was the only man there that he felt comfortable who's available for this particular mission that was all in. And I suppose the question that I'd like to pose to you here this morning is, would Paul have sent you? Are you all in? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I pray, God, as we are following up with what you did last week, I pray, God, you'd continue the work in our hearts. Um, Lord, I'm just as weak now as I was last week. <laughs> and God, I pray that you'd fill me with the Holy Ghost. Give me the anointing and unction that I need to deliver this message uh, to these young people as I ought to. I pray, God, that you would perhaps even during this time intensify the work uh, that you started last week. And I pray, God, that for those that maybe have not come all the way through, that they would this hour. That they'd be able to say they're all in. Uh, Lord, bless this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. His name was Eric Liddell. Some of you have heard of him. Uh, Eric Liddell was an Olympic sprinter who knew what it meant to be all in. Uh, in fact, Eric Liddell often said, God made me fast. <laughs> he certainly was fast. Uh, Eric Liddell, uh, during uh, one day leading into an important track meet, he was at the starting line at this track meet, which is a qualifying track meet for the Olympics coming up later on that year. This man was poised, ready to go, and as the shot fired for this qualifying round, he shot off like a gun himself, running with everything that he had down in the 100-meter dash. <clears throat> as they rounded the first corner, uh, somebody next to him lost his footing, stumbled, got tangled into his legs, and took Eric Liddell down himself. As it, uh, Eric and this other man were hitting the track ground, the other men continued in their full sprint towards the finish line. Really, in reality, it was probably a fraction of a second, but Eric jumped to his feet as soon as he was able to free himself from the other man and looked ahead. Now, if you know anything about racing, for all intents and purposes, Eric was out of the race, but Eric wasn't out of the race if you know what I mean, because Eric was all in. Eric jumped to his feet and began to run like a mad man towards that group of people that by now was about a third of the way past him towards the finish line. As Eric ran, not only did he catch up with those men, he surpassed those men and finished in first place. And I want you to know he did it because he was all in. Well, Eric qualified for the Olympics, and as the days approached and he received a schedule for the events, he came to the shocking realization that his event, the 100-meter dash, was to be held on a Sunday. Now, there's something about Eric Liddell you need to know. Eric Liddell was not just a famous sprinter. Eric Liddell was a Christian. And Eric knew that God, his supreme master, did not want him to race on Sunday. And so when he announced that he had withdrawn from the 100-meter dash, the race which he was favored to win and instead submitted to a longer race that he was not favored to win, 
Uh, he drew the ire of thousands, especially those from his home country. Many people counseled him and said, Eric, is just one race in the year. Surely you can run on Sunday. Eric, you're foolish for withdrawing from this race. You could win. Eric, you'll never win the 400-meter dash. Eric, don't let down your country. Go into the race. But because Eric was not just all into the race, he was all in with his God, all in with his master, Eric, refused. Uh, the day came for the 400-meter race, the one that really there was no chance from a human standpoint that he would win. Uh, right before he came up to the starting line, he got a little handwritten note from one of his fans, and uh, the note itself said, uh, quote, in the old book it says, he that honors me, I will honor. When the race began, he shot out of the starting line as fast as a sprinter and a 100-meter dash normally would. Now, you know, if you start that fast, you don't normally end that fast. But something happened there that day that I think was supernatural. He started at a sprinter's pace and ended at a sprinter's pace. Not only did he win first place, he set world records. And I want you to know the reason why he won is because he was all in. Well, there's something else you need to know about Eric. Not only was he a fast sprinter, not only did he love his Lord, but he grew up on the mission field and had a heart for the people of China. After all of the Olympic hubbub had died down, Eric got married and he took his family to the nation of China, which at that point was the Republic of China. And there he began to minister among the people and preach the gospel. And as things progressed and, and, and the heights of World War II, uh, with the Japanese began pressing into the Chinese territory, things got so hot, Eric had to send his family home. And honestly, if Eric had not been all into his mission, Eric himself would have gone home. But Eric knew that God had called him to do something with those people there in that land, and Eric himself stayed. Before long, Eric was taken by the Japanese into an internment camp, and there he found himself ministering to the Chinese who were being persecuted by the Japanese, and by time his life was almost at an end, his health had nearly broken, this man found himself sitting in a hospital bed talking to one of his disciples and talking about the glories of surrendering to God. In fact, his dying word was recorded. He was in the middle of saying the word surrender when a massive brain tumor took his life. And Eric, from the start of his racing career to the very end there in that hospital bed in the land of China, epitomized what it means to be all in. You know, there's another man in the Bible that also knew what it meant to be all in. His name was Paul. And here in this passage and in this book, he's challenging the people in Philippi to live a life that is all in for the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we talked about prior to the prayer, his uh, disciple, Timotheus, was another man who was all in. And really the question that I want us to see here, that, that I want us to consider for every one of us here is, are you all in? The words that he says about this man, Timothy, are very helpful for us to know what exactly it means to be all in, and so we can diagnose ourselves whether we ourselves are all in as well. I want to look at verse 20 here, and I want to just focus three simple points here in the time that we have remaining. In verse 20 here, he says about Timotheus, he says, For I have no man... What's the next word? Question. Like-minded with who? Who? Talk, talk out loud. Yeah. You know, one of the evidences of Timothy being all in was that he was all 
in. He was like-minded. He thought the same way, had the same thoughts, had the same goals, aims, visions as his mentor, Paul. And if I can say it this way, if you want to be all in, you must be all in with your mentors too. Really, the first thing I want you to challenge with is you need to be all in with your leaders. You know, it's interesting to me here. He says, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. In essence, what he was saying was, listen, Timothy and I, Paul is saying, we are in solidarity with one another. Um, Someone has defined solidarity as unity or agreement of feeling or action. In other words, Paul knew that Timothy would handle the situation just like he would have. You see, they had a similar passion. They had a similar drive. They had a similar ministry philosophy. They had similar boundaries for what they would do and what they wouldn't do. They had a similar love for the Philippians there. And Paul says, hey, listen, I can send Timothy because Timothy is all in with me. We are in solidarity. You know, one of the things that I loved about last week was a solidarity that I saw amongst all of us on the Falls Baptist team and Baptist College of Ministry. It was a thrill to see. It's a thrill to see students getting together and having prayer meetings that were student-led, student-initiated. It's a thrill to see those things. It's a thrill to see you getting a burden for the same thing that we are burdened for. In fact, last week was not the result of something that the staff wanted to happen. It was a result of something you wanted to happen. And once you knew that's glorious, it's glorious. And as much as we all might be in solidarity regarding the mission, there are times, I think, when we find issues that we might not be in solidarity about. You know, I want you to just think about this. You know, sometimes, have you ever had a leader where a leader's really passionate about something, really burdened about something, and you're thinking, oh, yeah, that's nice. I got homework to do. What am I talking about? Oh, that's really good. That's great. Yeah, well, yeah, we got this friend day coming up. That's good. Another thing to subtract time for my intermediate Greek homework. <clears throat> Do spend time on that, please. But you know, it's really important if we're going to be all in with our mentors and our leaders, we must be in unity or agreement with them. I don't know if perhaps there are some here, just the general trend of things is something that you don't necessarily agree with. Can I tell you? If you're struggling with the outreach, if you're struggling with asking the key questions, if you're struggling seeing the necessity of it, Paul wouldn't have sent you. You know, when we see students get all in and on board, it gives us confidence. You know, sometimes, you know, students might wonder, why didn't I get picked for this? Why didn't I get picked for that? How come they're not asking me to help out with this? And how, how come this, that, and the other thing? How come it seems like my leaders are constantly in question of me? Why is it that, uh, why is it that they didn't want me to do that or this or the other thing? Could it be that it's because you're not in solidarity with us? I'm not going to send somebody out to do a sensitive job if I'm not confident that they're seeing it the way I see it. If I, if I have question over whether they're going to take this thing a different direction than I believe the Lord wants it to be taken, I'm not going to entrust that person with that kind 
of a task. Listen, you need to be all in with your mentors. You need to be in solidarity and you need to be in submission. Submission has been defined as the act or fact of accepting or yielding to a superior force or to the will or authority of another person. Can I tell you, submission to your mentors and your leaders means following the handbook. I appreciated that testimony. By the way, I do want to remind you, you all signed a student covenant that you would uphold the handbook. And so it's not so much a question of whether this particular rule is a standard that you're going to carry with you throughout the rest of your life after college. It's a matter of the fact that you said you were going to obey it and you'd better do it. I want you to understand, as much as some of the rules in the handbook might not be things that you take with you for the rest of their life, they're God's will for you now. And if you are going to be all in, you need to be all in with your leaders, your mentors, and that involves sharing their passion, being in solidarity, and being in submission. Obedience, not just to what is explicitly stated, but also to what is expected, whether stated or not. Um, but, but, you know, I think we all understand that being all in is more about more than just following human people, do we not? Right? You know, being all in is more than just yes, sir, no, sir, though that's an important part. And that, in fact, reveals our surrender to Jesus. But I want you to notice as we continue going, he says in verse 20, I have no man like-minded. The idea is with me, who will naturally care for your state. But verse 21 says, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. See, not only do you need to be all in with your mentor, you need to be all in with your master. All in with your Lord, all in with Jesus. You see, the fact of the matter is, as he was taking a look at the options of, of those who were around, who maybe had some time, they could have gone uh, later to Philippi. As Paul was assessing the situation and sizing people up, he said, oh, that guy... He's just not surrendered to the Lord. He's just not all in with the Lord's plan for his life. He's still wrestling over whether he really wants to serve God or not. He's still wrestling with, you know, well, I don't know. Uh, he's still wrestling with, with whether he's going to give that thing up. He's still wrestling with whether he's going to submit to the Lord in this area. And listen, yes, you need to be all in with your mentors, but more importantly than that, you must be all in with Jesus, your master. Be all in. You need to embrace his plan. Listen, for some of you here this last week, God touched your heart and said he wanted you to be a preacher and you're still resisting him. You'll never be all in. Paul wouldn't have sent you. He wouldn't have sent you. He wouldn't have felt comfortable sending you because you're still wrestling with his plan. Can I tell you, we saw God do enough miracles last week. I think all of us ought to recognize that if God can bring those young people and do a work in hearts like he did, God can do anything. If God can keep you alive last week, he can do anything, right? I'm feeling it, that's for sure. <clears throat> Getting old. But you know, you do need to embrace his plan. Lord Jesus, I'm willing to do anything you want me to do. You know, one of the biggest thrills for me last week was during Pastor Gilmore's session at the end. This, listen, when God does this, this just thrills my heart. 
And I recognize that there are some that stood at the end of his session because of peer pressure, because everyone else in their row stood. I trust if you stu stood saying, I am willing, I trust you meant it. I trust you meant it. I trust you weren't just doing it because everybody else around you stood and because you would have looked bad if you stayed seated. If you did stand because of everybody else, maybe you need to come forward at the end of this message and say, I'm all into his plan. But listen, God has a plan for you. Before you were ever born, he knew you and he ordained you to do something for him. God has a plan for your life and chances are the plan is not something you could have ever dreamed up or imagined. It's probably so much bigger than you could have ever imagined. God's plan for you involves the gospel. His plan for you is specific. It's not just a cookie-cutter plan. God has something He created you to accomplish. And in order to be all in, you've got to be at the place with your master where you're saying, Jesus, I want your plan. Every part of it. Not just this part that I like. This part that I don't quite understand. That I don't see myself doing. That I don't feel like I'm able to do, Jesus. If you said it, I'll do it. I'm all in with you. You need to embrace his plan. You also need to embrace his power. Oh, I wish we could have spent some more time on this last week. But you know, the plan that God has for you is impossible. It's not something you're going to be able to do. If you look and make your decisions on what you will do and what you won't do based on what you think you can do, you'll never do what God wants you to do. Right now, my wife and I, were uh, working through pre-approval processes. Actually, we got pre-approval for a loan up to a certain amount. We'd like to purchase a house. And I'm really excited about that and incredibly nervous. Scared out of my gourd, actually, if the truth were to be known. <laughs> <clears throat> and this has been something we've been praying about for a long time. And we're not just doing it because, ooh, we really want a house. Ooh, we want equity. I, I frankly don't care about that stuff. But God wants us to have that. And you know, as we've been taking steps along the way, it's been a scary thing, and I recognize that if this is going to happen, it's going to have to be God. And you know what? Ministry is no different. You know, when I look at a tour, uh, a bunch of weeks that we've got scheduled to go out and reach teenagers with the gospel, we look at a particular week, and it's like, oh, man, this is a tough area, or, oh, man, there's this problem, there's this challenge, there's this, that, the other thing. Listen, if I went into those weeks and, and made my decisions based on what I was capable of doing, I would do probably, well, yeah, nothing. Because <clears throat> that's what Jesus said I was able to do. You know, some of you need to stop making your decisions based on what's in your bank account and start making your decisions based on what God says. Some of you need to embrace his plan and recognize that God's power is available to accomplish whatever his plan is. And it's not about what you're able to dream up, cook up, or work up. It's about what God is able to bring down and do in you and through you. See, Christian life and your plan has nothing to do with your skills. It has nothing to do with your talents. It has nothing to do with your eloquence. It has nothing to do with your discernment, judgment. It has nothing to do with those things, and it has everything to do with the almighty, omnipotent power of God. And Timothy understood that, and he was all in, not only with his mentor, but with his master. He had embraced Jesus' plan, and he had embraced Jesus' power. But thirdly and finally here, we see in verse 22, he says, But ye, you Philippians, know the proof. You know the proof 
of him. That as a son with a father, he hath served with me in the gospel. The Philippians had seen Timothy at work. They'd actually, with their own eyes, seen Timothy weep for souls. They'd actually, with their own eyes, seen Timothy work his fingers to the bone so that people could be reached with the gospel. They had seen, with their own eyes, the evidence of the fact that, thirdly, he was all in with his mission. Are you all in with the mission? You know, you know how you know if you're all in with the mission? You're involved in it. You know how you know if you're not all in with the mission? You're not involved. You skip this week. Or you go, and really your goal is just to get through the time. Your goal is not to win somebody to Christ or see somebody move forward in their walk with God. You know you're not all in when, and again, I recognize all of us have fears, all of us have butterflies in our stomach as we go up to the door, and all of us have moments where we hope nobody answers. You know what I'm talking about. But you know that you're all in when you are surrendered and serving in the cause. When it's not about you anymore, it's about the fact that this person needs to be saved. It's not about you anymore, it's about the fact that this person needs to take the next step and it is not about my comfort in this conversation. It is not about my plans here for this evening. It's not about the fact that I've got a bunch of things to do. It's about the fact that God has something he wants you to do and I've got to get it done or it's not going to get done. I want to be all in with my mission that God has given for me. I want to get everything done that he wants me to get done. And if I'm all about myself, I won't. If you're all about yourself, you won't either. Andy Meekins and his wife were on a plane in 1996, seated together, and there were, at that time, <clears throat> Several men who had invaded the cockpit of this airplane that was flying from the capital of Ethiopia down to Nairobi, Kenya. This was uh, 1996. Well, these men had read in a pamphlet in the seat back pocket that this particular airplane, if fully fueled, could fly all the way from the capital of Ethiopia all the way to Australia. And these men had been causing some problems in the country of Ethiopia, and they wanted to get out of there. They wanted to go to Australia. So they hijacked the airplane. They told the pilot, take us to Australia. The pilot <clears throat> uh, turned to the men, and he had actually dealt with hijackers before, and he said to uh, those men who were hijacking the airplane, our airplane, while fully fueled, could make it to Australia. We are not fully fueled. We only carry enough fuel to get us to our intended destination. We cannot make it all the way. The men were intoxicated so they would not listen to reason. These men looked at the pilot and said, you're lying, fly us to Australia. So that pilot flew along the eastern coast of Africa hoping to be able to talk the men down. It came to the point where they had passed the final city where they could have landed and the fuel was getting down to the very, uh, the, the very uh, almost down to empty. And he told those men, he said, men, if we do not land, we will die in the ocean. The men looked at him and said, then we'll die then. One engine ran out of fuel. Uh, the captain radioed uh, over the intercom to everybody in the cabin and said, one of our engines just went out, the other will go out shortly. 
please prepare for a crash landing in the ocean. Andy Meekins, who happened to be a missionary to Ethiopia, heard that announcement and realized everyone on the plane was in jeopardy. You see, Andy Meekins was all in. Andy unbuckled his seatbelt and stood to his feet and turned around to the next couple rows of passengers in the center aisle and said, we will all likely die in just a matter of moments. There's something you need to know. And he told him about Jesus. He stepped down the aisle a few more aisles and stood in that aisle and said, there's something you need to know. We're about to die soon. You need." And he told them about Jesus. And he stepped further down the aisle. And as he talked to just several groups, that airplane hit the water and skipped. It hit the water again and stopped dead. And no doubt, Andy was swung off of his feet and was doubtless destroyed there in that plane crash. In fact, of the 175 people on board, 125 of them died, including Andy, who when the plane hit the water was still on his feet preaching the gospel. I think Paul would have sent Andy had he been around because Andy was all in. And I guess the question that I have for you here this morning is, are you? Are you all in? Could I have everyone stand, please, here at this time? I want to have just a brief invitation. If God is working in your heart and perhaps there are issues that have not been resolved last week and here at this time, God is working on your heart and you realize there are some things you still need to have conversations about. Pastor Swanson will be in the back. I want you to go back and talk to him. If God, if this is, uh, uh, if this is what God wants you to do, but if you are here and your simple cry is, I want to be all in with Jesus. In a moment, the piano is going to play, and I want you to come forward, and I want you to tell him so. If there are issues in your heart you have to deal with, deal with them in your heart. But as God has worked in your heart here this morning, I want you to do what he tells you to do. As the piano plays, you do what God has called you to do.